0: Hey, folks,
1: a real quick correction in this episode. I kept calling Dan's company
0: 3C as opposed to C3. So anyway, I just want to make sure that you understand and know that uh, Dan's company is
1: C3, not 3C, like your host kept making a mistake of calling it. So
0: with that, enjoy this episode of Jason Wright Show with Dan Crawford, the founder of C3. Thanks for listening. Dan Crawford, welcome back to the show, brother. Hey, brother, how are you? Thanks for having me back on. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, I'm glad to have you back on. And uh, and for those of you who have not heard my first conversation with Dan, I highly recommend you go listen to that episode. It was one of the most downloaded episodes. I guess was that last year we did that about 15 months ago, uh, 15 2022, right? Oh gosh, that's crazy. So yeah, I highly recommend that you folks go. Listen to that, so you can understand a little bit of Dan's journey. And uh, you know, you reached out, and you've got a new venture that you have started. And I am, and the thing is, Dan, I'm pumped to talk about it because one of my favorite things to talk about, to understand, to learn about, is neuroscience and mind control, the power of our thoughts, how we are able to relax the amygdala and and be able to focus and you know, flow state, all of that. Those are things that I totally geek out on. And I know that the practice that you have launched, you're doing a lot of that for your clients. And so one of the things that I had never heard of, though, was this idea of neurological safety. So tell us, first of all, about your new company, what your what a, a typical engagement looks like for you. And then let's just kind of dive into some neuroscience and just see where this takes us. I, my hope is, that this conversation allows the audience to understand what they can do. One, understand their thoughts better, understand their mind, understand the fact that this monkey brain that's constantly tapping away and dancing in our head, that he can't, it is a monkey that can be tamed and you're listening to a guy that has struggled to, to tame the monkey. Um, but I'm sure you've got some cool tactics and, um, and practices to, 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 to that end. So with
0: that brother, What's going on? Tell me about three C's. I, first of all, I want to say, I, uh, I really appreciate the emphasis on the word struggle. You might, uh, not necessarily didn't have to say it that way. I am messing with you, obviously, Dude. but it, you know, it is, it is a struggle. It's a daily struggle. And even when you feel like you're, um, happy, healthy, you're approaching things right, um, it doesn't take, but a, a single, you know, thought or behavior or action that can really manipulate that in our lives. Right. So what is CD3? That's Crawford Coaching Concepts. And I recently branched off, uh, before, uh, previously, I was the uh, U.S. performance improvement Te- team manager. Uh, I had six teams throughout the United States, and I'll uh, and I managed those different teams. And this really got started there because it was a combination. Each of my teams had two people. We had a operations person's performance, and on this other side, you had this um, Safety guy, right? QHSD, quality, health, safety environment. And so they worked together because so many times you saw it as being separate, but that's really not what good, optimal performance and performance improvement looks like, right? And so uh, now that i branched off, I really have three concepts, the pressure Coaching concepts, C- C3, when I started in our podcast here. But it, the first was neurological safety. I think we have to start there. The second one is a leadership development. And the third is culture cult, culture cultivation. Try to say that a bunch, right? Uh, the cultivating of healthy cultures and neuroscience thinking is the start. And then the support of that, right? Is done through or, or, or is, you know, cultivated through developing your leaders, buy in from management and then creating this culture where people feel like they are valued a part of a team. Because I think you and I both know, yeah, people leave sometimes for money, but oftentimes it's because they don't feel valued and they don't feel a part of the team and the work the team is doing, right?
1: Yeah. As a matter of fact, Dan, one of the things that I've heard, I guess it was, um, it was, it maybe was Daniel Pink in his book, Drive, where he talks about, and I think I've got these right, that mastery, purpose, and what's the next one? Mastery, purpose, and... Maybe it's independent. I'm not sure.
0: I think, it's, yes, I think it's tend, in it to be able to, to challenge, to grow yeah. that type yeah. of deal.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the things I think you bring up a very good point there as to why people leave. A lot of people always want to think that it's money. And one of the things he brings out in that book that I'm sure that you're going to probably cover is that as managers, we always think that the carrot always has to be money. But in fact, and that's the way companies to this day still try to manage. They think it's all about financial rewards and incentives. But in fact, the science never proves that. It's always the culture. It's where the person feels like they're confident, that they, they, they're respected and they actually have a purpose that aligns with the company's purpose. So anyway, I just I wanted to hammer on that a little bit because I think what because that's something I've learned probably in the last two or three years on some of the consulting that I've done for clients that were trying to restructure compensation plans, that sort of thing is getting that message across that it's not always about the money.
0: Right. So when, when I started delved into this adventure, right, and we on my website, you'll see that there's a neuroscience, wow. um, a, a neuroscience safety assessment that anybody can sign up for, send it in. It's a simple form, and I, I've created one of those where I've gleaned, pulled a lot of different questions from various surveys, some of my own as well. Also, during my work as an executive neuroscience safety facilitator. And so that's available on our website, uh, which is um, easily uh, accessible. I'm sure uh, I can give it to you. You can pull that up um, because it's brand.page forward slash proper coaches, right? But specifically, you know, when I think about neuroscience safety, that is the foundation of a healthy, proactive safety culture. And what we want is uh, behaviors that happen systematically, routinely, um, and that they are continued, right? That they don't, they don't stop. So th- there's three real facets of this at the bottom here. We have our, our behaviors, right? We have the behaviors that are taking place. So how do we get here? And I think it's two pieces. I'm going to kind of divide it up. All right. First, you have neuroscience safety, which is how our brain thinks, how we approach things, and then you have your psychological safety. You will I'll talk about those. So if you've got those here and they funnel down. Into our behaviors here at the bottom, right? And wherever you fit in that funnel, a, a person that's using good neurological safety and is supported in that, there's good psychological safety at the workplace. At the top of that funnel, they're very high functioning. If you got low neuroscience safety education, if the psychological stages are not developed, then you're going to be at the bottom of those behaviors. So it's going to be very minimal, which indeed leads to risk. And it is basically an environment uh, that's not healthy, uh, safe, and good for the employee, right? So when, and, and again, yes, I was in the oil and gas industry and I'd, I've got a few, um, operate owner operators right now I'm working with kind of developing some things, but when I, I heard about presentations, I realized we talk about physical safety all the time. We drill it, drill it, drill it. That is our trainings, uh, the processes, procedures, and our equipment. But how do we talk about the brain? So, when I, I do my presentations, and I'm not going to ask you the questions, I know we, you're a big neuroscience guy, but uh, I, as I went through my neuroscience thinking facilitator training, there were some real statistics that stood out to me. And, and it's this. So, on the average day, we have 50 000 to 85,000 thoughts per day. That's on average, right? You're going to have a few standard deviations for the mean on the low end or high end, right? Um, and we have more thoughts when we perceive to have a negative day. So in that 80 to 85,000 range over here, probably a negative thought day, the 50, 55,000 thought range on a good day. But more alarming than the amount of thoughts that we have is the fact that 80%, four out of five of those thoughts that we have are negative. Of that 80%, right? 95%, all right? 95 out of 100 thoughts that we have out of that 80%, a repetitive negative thought. Why is and that? Why, not,
1: why do we? Why do the, yeah. the, the the negative thoughts so so greatly outweigh? I guess positive thoughts. What what what
0: is that? It,
1: it it is in our
0: our brains. We want to go and Oftentimes, we want to fix things. We as individuals, when something's negative, a negative response from a boss, your spouse is upset at you, you disappointed your children. Those negative thoughts run through our head because, oh my gosh, I have messed up here. I have failed someone. I didn't do something that I was supposed to do, right? And so those things get in a loop within our brain, right? And there has to be some sort of intervention or mitigation that takes place. Yes, I started in the oil and gas business with this, right? In in, in talking about behaviors on a drilling rig, but it really applies across all types of businesses and organizations. Um, every time I go in, for instance, and I do a presentation, I start with something called a strategic pause. Have you have you heard of one of those? Mm-hmm. Sure. And uh, for those of you that are not aware, I, I come in and I, I give a piece of paper to everyone, a pen, and I say, for three minutes, write down everything that comes to your brain. Right now, three minutes, just jot a quick note. Personal, professional, good, bad, whatever the gamut. You don't have to, to share that. And people write them all down. And then what I ask them to do is take those thoughts, close it up, put it in their pocket. And for the next hour and a half or two hours of the training, I don't want you to think about those things because it clouds our judgment. You're thinking negative thoughts, maybe a few, but usually things we have to do, take care of, and we're not mentally ready. For student job. Um, let's take oil and gas for instance. You've got to have uh, your 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 fr done, right? Uh, see, for flame, fire, retardment, right? You gotta, you gotta have that. You gotta have steel toe boots. You gotta have your safety gloves. Um, you gotta have your glasses. You gotta have a hard mat. You have to have earring protection, physical safety. We're prepared for work. But well, why don't we do that for, for mental safety? Why don't we make sure that we're mentally prepared? And I say, uh, you have a great love of sport like I do. And so oftentimes I use those analogies that they are as mentally ready as they're physically ready as well.
1: Okay, well, give me some uh, some some exercises because, like I've told you, the monkey brain is one of the hardest things to to control for me. And you know, one of the things I know how our, our brains are wired, and you you know this better than me because you're you're the one that has all the initials after his name from all that uh, education that you've had. Uh, <laughs> it's
0: just a marathon. It's a distance yeah, test. yeah.
1: Well, uh, but uh, you know, our brains tend to remind us of things that we need to do at the wrong times. I mean, I think it was, uh, I think it's in David Allen's book, um, getting things done that that's things he talks about is like when you're sitting, trying to concentrate or find a flow state or whatever, the first thing your brain is going to do is to remind you of all the things that you need to be, to be doing. At mm-hmm. the most inopportune time, it's like, it tells you all the things that you should be doing that you're not doing and that you can't do right then. And so I think the writing, the the things down to put them in your pocket is a great idea. What are some other things that folks can do to, I guess, and all this, you know, I will probably use this term uh, over and over because I, I think that when you're talking about neurological safety, um, getting into a flow state has to be a component of that, uh, you know, whether you call that deep concentration or the zone or whatever, or flow state. So what? How, how else do you get people to clear their mind and focus on the task at hand and not let those nagging things take precedence?
0: Gotcha. So I'm going to get into those strategies, but I want to hit on one thing. And I, I think this is huge. We have to know our audience mm-hmm. because there is a different approach from audience members when you're presenting, when you're working with your team or or say you have your your experienced people over here and your SSEs over on this side, right? Your short service employees. And so before I go with strategies, I want to talk about that because there's a difference in crystallized and fluid intelligence, right? So you have your crystallized intelligence is your ability to solve problems, your problem solving skills based upon your experiences that you have had. A problem comes up in business. Uh, something happens on a drilling rig. It, it's probably happened multiple times. And if you're a seasoned manager or leader, you know what to do. You can be woken up out of your sleep and know the steps to identify the problem. And then here's what we need to do, right? So that's your crystallized intelligence. But then you have others that use fluid intelligence. That is our cognitive thinking. We won't, I'm not going to bore everyone here with the, the, the prefrontal cortex and how all that works together, right? We want to keep this as a, on that user level, but people that have that fluid intelligence level, they've got to problem solve and think through things because they don't have that crystallized intelligence, right? And here's the perfect example, right? So if you are on, for instance, you're on it work for a drilling contractor and you work out in the oil and gas industry, a rig manager can solve a problem in a minute when a mud pump goes down. He knows, hey, this is probably it could be a bulk swab, could be this or that, whatever it is, he knows. A short service employee is not gonna have that experience. They've got a problem solve, probably gonna take it a little bit longer. What is the key element to that when I talk about these strategies? So uh, if you take a normal day, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., by about 9 a.m., most people are about 75 to 85% at their problem solving skill level. That is um, short cycle employees, new employees, new team members. Or those with crystallized intelligence, we get caffeine in us, right? We feel good. We get the day going, right? Everybody's there. But here is the difference. A crystallized intelligence person that has the perception in their brain, I'm having a bad day. It's not a good day. I've had these negative thoughts repeatedly because of personal or professional, their ability to problem solve drops about five to 10%, right? It does. It, it delays them a little bit and distracts them. But the key element here is the fluid intelligent employee. All right. Theirs drop within a matter of hours to 10 to 15%. So, every, anywhere from 70, 75% is what they, you know, 75, 80% is what they started at. And they dropped to a 10 to 15% based upon their perception of having a bad day. Because they don't have the crystallized intelligence to rely on to problem-solve. Um, Jason, you probably haven't had this, but I had an incredible wife, Kim. And, you know, there are sometimes I, I go to her with things and I, I bring it to her and she's "Dan, I know you think it's a bad day. This is awful. It's okay. In the grand scheme, it's all right. But in our mind, if we think it's a bad day because of our thought, repetitive negative thoughts, and we can't break that cycle through mitigation, right? that's That's just what we believe in that's our reality perception is our reality, and so i I wanted to point that out because I think there is a difference in the two that I believe that that circle if you if you've got the the crystallized intelligence go down a little bit and we've got this right here for the fluid intelligence, this circle that is the area where when you end up with problems, incidents and, and issues in the workplace because that takes a, a tremendous dive.
1: Does that make sense yeah, absolutely so. How do you, and see, this is where I think it gets tough. And I know I've dealt with this, yeah. uh, as, as a consultant going in and trying to train different employees, you, you mentioned it early on knowing your audience. So man, how do you start to make that assessment of a team, especially when like you've dealt with offshore oil rig, uh, workers that probably aren't sitting around thinking about flow state, neurological safety and, and positive <laughs> versus negative right. self-taught. So. How does the average person that just, frankly, they just don't think about these things the way we do. Now, I don't mean that good or bad, I mean, look, they're just living their lives. How do you start to get them to adopt some of these practices that can really show them how they can short circuit the negative spiral that can lead to some, some bad things to kind of get them back centered and get on a positive basis? How do you start that process?
0: A great segue I mean, we didn't discuss this to everyone, but he just segued it perfectly right into what what I want to talk about here, right? And, and so I've got three strategies here I want to talk about. And again, it still works for crystallized or fluid intelligence employees, but it's like you said, every that each group's a little different, so how do we approach it? Um, I really appreciate and have found what works is the storytelling approach and the use of the empathy, okay? Jason, when you were in high school, did you learn from the teacher that had a bunch of letters after their name? They get up and lecture. They were very high intelligence. They knew information and and they could just regurgitate right off the top of their head all of this information. Or did you learn better from the person that may not have had the same uh, intellectual level of knowledge, but they could relate it to a story, something real life that takes place within? Right. When you're talking about workplace safety and you talk about how many incidents have happened in in oil and gas industry or, or, God forbid, fatalities, when you relate that to the team and you talk about Dan right here has a wife, something happens to him, Jason, you're responsible to give her a call and let her know. You other team members call each of his five children. You other two, you two are going to call mom and dad and tell them we did not keep him safe by what we did and what we didn't do. You want to talk about making that really, um, you're pulling at the empathy of their life, right? You're, you're empathetic towards if something happened, it's hypothetical, but you also do it through telling the story and making it real for them. And I think that's the disconnect that oftentimes happens. We go do this, do that, do this training, you do what I said but not understanding why we want you to do what we say, right? And I think that's so very important. Um, We oftentimes talk about knowing your why, right? Um, There's all kinds of books about that. Knowing your why and sharing your why. But how many leaders and managers find out the why of their team members? Can you tell when you are a leader, I those 12 people on my team and hopefully some of them will see this, I knew their their spouse's name, where they work. I knew things about their kids. That meant value to them. It's important to, yes, know your why and share it, but to also know others, right? The second thing, that's the first one. The second thing is is data visualization, right? No one thinks about the data of negative thoughts, repetitive negative thoughts, and I need to do something to mitigate this and change my track. Uh, For me, it's exercise, right? I told you I lost about 35 pounds since uh, in the last year and a half. And when I get in this state of these thoughts, boom, exercise and music is what my go-to is, right? But if you don't understand the data and just have simple statistics that you go, I find myself doing that, that I believe is, is huge. Um, in the trainings that I've done with new team members, cycle employees, employees, they sit there and go, I appreciate this. I realized that Oftentimes I want to do the same job as the leader or the manager, right? Because I want to do a good job. But science says statistics say I'm probably not going to be able to do that when things are challenging, right? And so I I understand and know that, but I want to be as peak as I pop as I possibly can on my mental performance and thoughts so that I can do the best that I can. And over time, the crystallized intelligence that it, it will build. And the last thing. You know, it, it feedback and cooperation, right? Um, and, and I know that seems kind of, wow, that's kind of broad there, Dan. What do I mean there? A proactive culture versus reactive. How many times do things happen and it goes top down? The uh, VP goes to the executive director, to director, to the manager, right? And then boom, fret out. That's the reactive. But when we have a proactive culture, that means the, management and leadership are taking in what others are saying, whether it's out in the field or out in the office, on the lower floors, if you are have a 12-story building and you've got employees, you know, on two, three, and four, that you're listening to what they are doing, what they are saying, and how they are conducting their business. So I think if we approach our audience with appropriate storytelling, empathy, and framework, all right, if we use the data, Not to say you guys are doing this and that, but to help educate them um, how many times we do trainings and we don't get the education of why this is. And then lastly, a top down, uh, a a bottom up rather than top down proactive culture rather than a reactive. I think those three strategies, uh, you know, those are pretty broad concepts, but there are many different ways you can delve into each one of those for sure.
1: Yeah, I think that one of the things too, a lot of the uh, old school managers that are hearing this that have come up through the command and control type of mindset, which was, you know, that was the, the order of the day from the industrial revolution on that, that command and control, uh, for so long, they, they hear these things and it sounds touchy feely. It sounds kind of woo woo, uh, a little soft. And, uh, and I think that's one of the things that they, they need to understand that, you know. Uh, in the order of events, because one of the things that you said there that I've struggled with whenever I, it's hard to come in and get a team to buy in really quickly to some of these methodologies, at least is what I found. I don't know about you until you just start the relationship with them. You have to almost show them, I care about you beyond your performance. Like you mentioned the family, their names, who they are. I care about you as an individual, as a human being first, which can be very challenging for a lot of managers. But once you start to do that, then whenever you bring them the message of positive self-talk, eliminating the negative thoughts, having that, uh, that, that some way to um, intervene to like, I know a counselor once told me that you just yell, stop as quickly, just, just in your head, stop. You because know, you have to change your state. I mean, that's what you're, that's what we're talking about here. You've got like you with the exercise, the music. I'm the same way. Music and and exercise, those are those those are just magical for me. But what I'm doing really is I'm changing my state. I, sometimes, like this room I'm in, I spend the bulk of my waking hours in this room, either on my podcast, studying, researching, calls, whatever. Sometimes I just have to get out of this room because these walls close in, and just by changing that state, it it, it has a it, it makes a, a big difference. So. My question to you is, okay, so how do you get these managers? uh, Because I guess we're going to go into culture, I suppose, after this. These managers who set the tone for the culture, how do you get them to buy in and realize that if you've been a command and control type operator for decades, and now you're going to have to actually figure out who your employees are as human beings, how do you get them to buy into that methodology?
0: In knowing your audience, if you're a presenter, I've got to know of our audience. I mean, you've presenting many times, right? If you're the manager or leader, it goes back to what you're saying and knowing your people, right? Um, and I will say this: when I went into the oil and gas industry, I'd been a what a you know 17 year high school principal and college professor and for 10 years, and people said, "How are they going to listen to you? You're going to walk in and do it." And I said, "Just, just watch. Here's why." And I think you show them how their business, their daily business, what they do, you show them how it can be positively impacted through this and they're going to listen. That's number one. And number two, you're transparently honest. Because when I do presentations, whatever business it's in, I don't act like I am the the master of knowing the knowledge of what they do. I make it clear, I am not here to tell you about your specific job. It's about the approach. I'm not telling rig managers and drillers how to do their specific task and operation. I say that is not what I do, but I will help you with the approach to that. Right. And so I think it goes back to a mental peak performance, really. And that's, that's the leadership piece and and some culture pieces that, you, you know, we don't live in the same society that you and I grew up in, Jason. Right? It's a diff- It's a TikTok world, right? It's a make-a-cut video world, right? We don't need uh, all these videos. Everything's done right now on my cell phone here, right? Uh, the videos I make from my company all cap cut, put it together, and so we've got to understand where those people are, where where our employees are coming from, and what they need. So, I think the five real P. Tea- Uh, performance factors that if you can zone in on, that it will lead to improvement, right? Uh, Number one is motivation. Now, we know motivation is intrinsic. Absolutely, it is. But can a leader, and when I say leader, that's the management leader, can they influence an employee to be more motivated? Absolutely, right? And it's recognizing what that is, because sometimes it might be some type of a competition or a money bowl, days off, right? And sometimes it's simply recognizing what they're going through. That's it. When you talk to somebody for a few minutes and you listen to them three to five minutes as a leader and a manager, in my last school principal job, I had 275 employees. If I gave them three to five minutes of my of, of my time, they felt better and they were motivated because I'm in a safe working environment where, where you want to listen to me. Where they understand me, and I'm just not a number, right? The second thing is high self confidence for peak performance. Now, people say, "How are you going to do that Well, a guy that's been on, on the job for three days, four days, five days?" Look for the quick wins, find the quick, simple win. Even if to everybody else it was very simple to do, that quick win will boost that confidence. It, 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 it goes, it goes back to the endorphins in the brain that that positive comment. You did a good job. Affirmation that just makes people spike. And when you can spike, it may go back down a little bit, but with each spike, it goes up in a trajectory like this, right? And that's what we definitely want to do. Clear goals and objectives. How many people start accepting and say, here's the task we want you to do, but they don't have defined goals, expectations, timelines, and follow-up. There's nothing that's more frustrating for me when I get a task or operation and I don't have clear expectations for follow-up or what I'm supposed to do. That can be very difficult. Number four, we, you know, um, you know humans, we want routine. Not a basic blah, blah, blah routine of this is what we do every single day in this order, but we have a routine where we don't walk into that environment. Um, it's the same thing at home, right? You know... I, I can walk through the door, Jason, and I know if Kim's not happy with something I did, she doesn't have to say a thing. It's nonverbal communication, which is 65, 75% of communication. I have my routine when I come home and I know, ooh, I didn't do something here. How am I going to mitigate it and solve it, get to the bottom of it so I can correct that behavior, right? Same thing at work, like a routine to solve problems and a routine when things are going well and how to build on that, right? And then the last thing, is arousal control. We all have that. Some people talk faster, talk more, and some people shut down. It depends on their level of arousal. In other words, when things are going good, don't get too high. And when things are are, are not going well, don't get too low, right? The people that find the, the least amount of variance in their arousal are the ones that stay balanced and can stay focused and continue to move forward. So I think if you can do those those pieces and, and model. I think modeling is it modeling is it as a as a manager, and as a leader and in showing them, giving them the freedom to do that as well in their life, I, I think it has a really, really big impact.
1: So whenever you come into an organization, are you spending more time with the management or the the teams?
0: Management. Management. I will do small group coaching, a larger group too, with with teams, but oftentimes it's going to be presentations with follow up coaching right? Because there's got to be follow-up and discussion. You know, we, on a, on a podcast, is me and you here talking, I'm a guest, so I'm going to speak more. But really when I, I want to do a presentation, I don't want to be the one that is doing all of the talking and all the speaking, right? And so when I th- think about peak mental performance, I go back to the, the JFK story, right? And the janitor, for those of you that haven't heard it, uh, in a short brief version, you know, you know JFK is one the that said we're going to land a man on the moon. Unfortunately, he's assassinated before that happened, right? And but he bought into this vision. And he got people to buy in all the way down to when him and a team visited a, a NASA facility, went up to a custodian and asked, you know, what? What do you what do you do here? What's your task and operation?" Even though I'm sure he could tell from his janitor outfit, he had his cart, he had you know a, a broom, a mop. But the guy's response was. I'm doing my part to help the United States of America land a man on the moon. When you have a custodian at a facility buying into that, that's affecting his motivation, right? Okay. It it is, it is peak. His motivation is helping to land a man on the moon. He didn't say, I'm just doing a task for operation to clean the bathrooms, cafeteria, the floors. No, no, no. I'm playing a part, a bigger picture. And so he had this, this self-confidence, this, this motivation, right? That that was his mindset. And so many times we get caught up in just what we're doing now. Nobody wants to just be the low level employee, right? But you got to take the time and do, do the efforts that you can. And sometimes it may take a while or sometimes the role you're in um, may be the best way to serve the company. And I think that's a great illustration of how a person understood buying into the, the journey. Okay. The goals, the objectives, they were clear all the way down to that level of employee.
1: You know, it's interesting just by kind of reframing and giving giving purpose to what someone's doing, the impact that can have. I can't remember who it was. It was someone, it was a, it was a leader that, um, maybe it was Jim Rohn. I can't remember that. He was talking about how that's one of the things that he would do is he would go and if there were, where there was someone waiting tables, like you mentioned, the janitor with Kennedy, he would always tell the individual, wow, thank you for doing what you're doing. That is so important that, it, you know, because it, 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 those people, they often probably just get walked by, not looked at. And what they are doing is incredibly important. I don't care what level it is. I mean, think about if the trash never got hauled if the suite, the, 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 the floors never got swept or mopped, you know, the bathrooms never got cleaned. It is important work to the organization it all it also factors into there's this study that was done with these um, housekeepers at a hotel, and it is more health related, but it just goes to show you the power of the mind. So they did a survey of these housekeepers and they asked them how much exercise they got on a weekly basis. Well, most of them reported way below the the amount of exercise they needed. but then what they did is they Created a document that showed the work they were performing actually could be considered exercise, that they were actually getting their daily required exercise in their job because they're always moving, they're on their feet, they're making beds, they're constantly on the move. And do you know that they're? they're Blood markers for uh, VO2 max, for all these different, their insulin levels, all these different right. things changed once they saw what they were doing as equal to exercise. And it couldn't even be explained. The, the, the fact that their health increased could not even be explained, but it was so much driven by mental. And, you know, that, that janitor that Kennedy talked to, he had purpose. You talked about the easy wins that is mastery. You, you're showing mastery. And then whenever you trust the employee, you're giving them autonomy. And those are the things that, uh, that I've learned really motivates. So the fact that your practice is to get, get those managers to understand the value in those things, I got to believe that's going to move the needle for those organizations. And then plus, now talk about a culture of neurological safety and these things. Kind of like the the best case scenario, you walk in, Dan, to an organization that the po- the employees are demotivated, which is usually shown by they've got, pe- there's high turnover, that morale is low, uh, company might not be performing. You turn it around. What does it look like whenever, if you've just hit on all cylinders?
0: Gotcha. So th- that's great. And you referenced Daniel Pink earlier, so I got to throw in my reference, right? Um, Autonomy mastery, and purpose. Yep. That's it. Those yep. three words: autonomy, mastery, and purpose. That's what people want and they crave, right? You asked a great question. If I went into most businesses and asked them, what are your safety procedures? What are the stages you have uh, of, 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 of safety? They would all talk about, well, we do this. We have ergonomics training. We, we have the compliance training that we do every year. Da, da, da. How many do you think would talk about? the four stages of psychological safety. Very few, minimal, maybe one, possibly two out of 10, but that's it. But what does it look like when you have an organization firing on all, 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 all cylinders, right? We talked about the neurological piece, right? And obviously that's the piece of it that, that we discussed and if, if they're doing those strategies. But the four stages of psychological safety in the workplace, right? Not physical safety, the psychological piece. And this is what, I spend a lot of my time on. And there, there are four stages. The first one's inclusion. Okay. How are you included in this work environment? And that goes farther than DEI training. And but how are you involving members in the, the task operation? Do they feel included? No, it's not does the manager or leader think that we have an inclusive environment? Do the employees feel that, right? Are, are they a part of it? the, the second stage is do they feel safe to be a learner? In other words, are they stressing about not knowing their job or not knowing what's next, And but there's not support for them to be a learner, grow, and develop? That's what, that's what we want, okay? They're, 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 we as individuals are instinctively motivated by growing and developing because we eventually will reap the results of it, right? But you've got to have a learner-centered environment where when I say learner-centered, Is centered around the concept that they are are free to learn and grow. The third piece, contributor. There's nothing worse than that feeling that I'm doing this work. I spent all this time. I spent time on the weekend, right? And it wasn't even used in the presentation. It wasn't even a part of it. Now, sometimes it wasn't relevant, possibly. But did people feel like I am contributing here? I am a part of this. That that janitor made it clear to JFK. He was a contributor, although on a small scale that many people wouldn't even look at or think about, right? But he was a contributor. Contributor, and then the last thing is a challenger, and this is this is the breakthrough. A lot I think are, are focused on the uh, collaboration that you're a learner uh, and that you're a contributor, but how many say? I want you to challenge what we do. I want you to shoot holes in it. I want you to see how we can do it better. It may fail, but I want you to take a risk. So many times we get too boxed in to where we don't take those risks. And people want to challenge. There are people, I guarantee you, in organizations that, that have not been given the freedom to challenge, right? What is going on? It's not resisting the operation, but trying to make it better by looking at different means. There's a reason we're on well, what I, iPhone, are we on 15? I think maybe something of that nature. We started with the three, each of those iterations came because of challenges, uh, where people brought up, we could try this, try that. We had some of it problem solving and others of it is just improving. Right? So when you ask what it looks like and include an inclusive work environment, you're encouraged not only allowed to, but encouraged to learn, right? They, the, the, the the manager, the leader want your contribution and they tell you go forth and make changes and give it a try. I think when you have an organization that is use those strategies I talked about earlier, right? Right. And they have these stages and they understand it. And and I think the vast majority, even if I describe it, as for a simple word, but when I do trainings and going and talk to people, I talk about what are some strategies that you guys are going to do, right? That's important. But you know what's more important? What do you need to stop doing? Mm -hmm. Improvement oftentimes Mm -hmm. comes by what we need to stop doing Mm -hmm. rather than what we need to do. Usually it's twice as many stops as starts. And so uh, I really believe those pieces. But again, we talk physical safety, training, all those types of things, but there's not a focus on those things. And I think that's what uh the work for the twenty twenty three one.
1: You know, if you one of the things that you mentioned there, whether it's safety training or uh I don't know, all these different things that whenever you said you walk into the organization, I think a good question to ask someone, okay, have you met your safety metrics? And and they go, you know, why? And they said, well, well, because we want to keep our employees safe. And then you say, no, why? And if you dig down to it, they go, well, so do we don't get sued? or because there's a government regulation that makes us do it. it. It sounds to me like if a company adopts these principles you're talking about, then the why becomes, well, we're trying to put a guy on the moon and we got to have people safe to do it. So therefore it doesn't matter that we're being regulated, being forced to do it. There's a, there's a metric that we're checking. It's part of our overall purpose. And so I think that's one of the things. And then also you mentioned, um, uh, you know, to have a growth-minded organization, which is an organization that will challenge. It's not so afraid to fail. That doesn't that, that doesn't look at if I put forth a, an idea in a team meeting and everybody says, "Yeah, that's just not going to work." Yeah, I don't think yet. I'm a, I'm I'm a dumb jackass. So they go, "Oh, my idea just wasn't a good idea," but I'm still smart. I still have something to contribute. I think those are all things that are are very valuable. You know, I've actually had uh, Kyle McDowell, who's the author of Begin with We, which I think you would love. It's a great book on company culture and then uh, a guy named Greg Cagle who is a uh, a uh, an executive coach that specializes on culture. That's what his his whole does Need to get all of you here for like a a round table. Round table right? Oh dude that would be such a blast. And it, it is one of those things, Dan, that it is important to talk about as an entrepreneur, as a business leader, is, you know, having the right culture and and creating that workforce of of growth minded individuals that are all trying to charge that hill in sync in unison. And, uh, it sounds to me like that's what three C can give an organization.
0: Well, and it's, it's, it's moving away from compliance and toward creation. Yeah. Okay. What do I mean there? What is the highest level that you can achieve if you're trying to reach compliance? You're 100% compliant. That's it. But when you move toward a creation, problem solving, um, you have ownership, your involvement of this, man, what will be developed and come out of that from a product standpoint and an employee standpoint? I, I just, I, I think we haven't even uh, begun because I think this is kind of the next frontier. We have a little faith analogy, we're a man on the moon, but I, I do think this is the next frontier uh, that we need to be looking at and committed to kind of like people in ways that will kind of balk at it what an organization that would balk at these type things it makes you question where is your focus is it only on the batting line only on the product or the people that are getting you to the point where you have optimal peak performance and you know create or develop mm-hmm. a good pres- business product wonderful well, man, Dan, this has been
1: fun, dude. So tell people where they can find you. And I'll be sure and get all this in the show notes, but just make sure to email me or get me all the information you want in the show notes, but where can people find you? And if there are some business leaders out there and go ahead and t- what is your kind of your sweet spot for an organization that you help? Is it small, midsize, all size? Who, who are is, who's is your avatar client that you're looking for?
0: You know, what, what that, that's a great question. And this will be my answer. An organization that wants to add value to what they do, I want to be a part of that, right? It doesn't matter the size of the organization. They small, large. Um, I've got some consultants that, that work with me as well, right? And so the biggest thing for me is I want to have value added, whether it's a training, coaching, mentoring, follow-up. You know what I'm saying? I want to be able to, to add that at the end of the day. Or they look at me and said. That's going to help make us better, right? So that's kind of how I am, am looking at this approach because it's so different, right? There's a ton of, of physical safety consultants, things of that nature, but not many on this round. So you have a large organization, me coming in doing a presentation, uh, doing a training for a large group. That would I would say that I run the gamut of it. It will just look different for the size of your organization. And that's why uh, you can uh, visit brand.page.com forward slash Crawford Coaches, or email me at Crawford Coaches at Outlook.com, either one of those ways, or look me up on LinkedIn. It's under uh, Dan Crawford, EDD, and you'll be able to see the, all the Crawford Coaching concepts and our, our C3 logo and things on there. Reach out on any of those, um, because we do personalized quotes that are specific for your organization. It's not a, a specific one-size-fits-all. I, I heard from an uh, oil and, and gas consultant yesterday and I'm putting together something specifically uh, looking at neuroscience uh, using specifically one of their metrics because they feel like in that metric we're not getting the message across right and so uh, luckily starting a business like this and approaching this way again proactive I want to meet the business where they are not just say this is what I do fit into that right show up uh, I appreciate you having me on today being able uh, to lend a little exposure, uh, to this. And, and hopefully, uh, if I'm on, uh, you know, 18 months or so that, that we'll be able to look back on this journey when it first started. All right, Godspeed brother. I'm proud of you, proud for you and, uh, look forward to see
1: what the future holds. So with that, Dan Crawford, thank you, brother folks. Thanks so much for listening and we are out. See you brother. Well, that does it for this episode of The Jason Wright Show. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a Texas Titan Media production. Fourth Wall did the music. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Please consider going out to jasonwrightnow.com and signing up for The Vitruvian Letter. Also, please go out to iTunes. It takes like 30 seconds to just leave us a five-star rating. It does wonders for the podcast. I would be so grateful. And with that, until we meet again, go crush it and endeavor to improve always in always. I'm out.